British Columbia is world-renowned for its natural beauty, diverse communities, and thriving culture. It's also known for being in the grips of a housing affordability crisis decades in the making, which has been compounded by a poison drug crisis and by the COVID-19 pandemic. The province has an ambitious plan to address the crisis through the largest investment in housing affordability in BC's history. Tasked with building tens of thousands of homes in hundreds of communities is BC Housing, the province's agency responsible for developing, managing, and administering a wide range of subsidized housing and homelessness services across the province. BC Housing doesn't do this alone. To address the challenge, they're working with hundreds of partners. In this podcast, you'll get to hear from those delivering innovative and exciting affordable housing solutions. I'm Sarah from BC Housing, and this is Let's Talk Housing. New supportive housing often meets pushback from residents, business owners, and local politicians who are worried about crime, drug use, homelessness, and impact on property values. On today's episode, we'll discuss what it's like to bring new supportive housing projects to a community. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we're recording this podcast on the ancestral homelands of hundreds of Indigenous peoples and nations across British Columbia, each with their own unique traditions and histories. Today, I am on the ancestral and unceded homelands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tisleibatuth nations, who have been the caretakers of these lands for thousands of years. We offer respect to their peoples, past and present. Also, in full transparency, this episode is being recorded in October 2021 and reflects the issues at that time. Joining us today on Let's Talk Housing is Kim Galloway, Chief Operating Officer and Head of Housing for Ask Wellness Society, which provides health, housing, and employment services for marginalized people in Kamloops, Penticton, and Merritt, cities in the interior region of British Columbia. Also joining us is Alfred Ochoba, the Acting Executive Director of the Canadian Mental Health Association Kamloops branch. He has firsthand experience managing controversial supportive housing in Kamloops and dealing with confusion and hostility in the community. Rounding out our panel on Let's Talk Housing is Carmen Mazoda, the Social Housing and Community Development Manager for the City of Kamloops. He works closely with BC Housing and with nonprofit housing providers, such as Ask Wellness and CMHA. Thank you all for being here today. Kim, let's start with you. There's often confusion about the term supportive housing. Given that Ask manages supportive housing buildings in several communities, can you tell us what is supportive housing? I think it's really important to recognize that supportive housing is it's not just bricks and mortar. It it really is it's a belief that housing is is a human right and that when we provide housing with supports that we can support folks to get well. And so I think everything we do in our supportive housing complexes is around supporting people to do well. It's not just about putting a roof over someone's head. Of course, that's really important, but it's the collaborative nature and how we operate our supportive housing that is the, is the beauty and the magic of what we do. Uh, I think prior to folks getting into supportive housing, I think it's important that we recognize that there's, there's intention and is very well thought out as to how we select folks who will be housed in supportive housing. So we're looking at folks who are in, in need of, of mental health and substance use supports. 
some physical uh, chronic health conditions, uh, and folks that are going to be able to connect with our staff. Uh, rent in, in supportive housing, it's, it's $375. So we have robust activity with uh, mental health and substance use clinicians, uh, brain injury support staff, uh, care aides, uh, home health nurses, and it's the that significant collaborative effort that actually provides that opportunity for folks to see that they can get well. That's the beauty of supportive housing. It's not just that roof over the head. It's it's that opportunity to be part of a society, be part of our community. I think that there's so many folks that get referred to supportive housing that are really socially isolated and marginalized. And we give an opportunity for someone to say, hey, I matter, I'm important. And that's, I think, the magic of supportive housing is when we recognize that this is, we're not just about providing a roof over the head. It is really providing acceptance and hope for hope for tomorrow. Yeah, that's um really great way to start us off, Kim. And I'd like us to actually now take a moment to hear from someone who lives in supportive housing. Uh, Let's Talk Housing was able to speak with Quentin, who lives in Rosethorn, one of the supportive housing buildings that um, that your organization manages. And Quentin was kind enough to share what his experience has been like in supportive housing. Let's take a listen. Having, having help with my medication is one big thing, just being able to get into routine, having a cycle every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, they feed us here, which is amazing. So I don't, like, food isn't really a, a worry right now. Yeah, like, I can, I, I, can, I can chip away at my debt, and I can save for things I actually want. I can put money towards my kids. I, everybody at the front desk is always amazing too. They're always so helpful. They'll come and they'll, like just to be just to have somebody check on you too. Like um, there's a lot of people here dealing with substance abuse and stuff like that too. And just to be able to know that there's like somebody there watching or I don't know if something bad happens or there's 24/7 um um on site um supervision too as well like cameras and stuff. So there's a lot of safety here. It already has benefited my future in so many ways. Um. Just being able to have a chance. It's basically giving me a second chance. Uh, it's, it's helping me keep my head above water and um, maintain a normal life after uh, everything that I've been through. And it's helping me build my future beyond what I thought was possible. It sounds like supportive housing has played a very pivotal role for Quentin. Alfred, when you listen to Quentin's story, what resonated for you? Thank you. Um, you know, it's we hear the same story, a story of hope, a story of support, a story of, you know, being able to have a second chance. And that's what supportive housing is all about, is that we serve as stewards for our clients, um, you know, to thrive in their housing. And so we bring in all the supports they need, um, unique to each individual. And, and, you know, st stories like Quentin's is what resonates for us is, is being able to give people hope, um, you know, hope to be able to do better, hope to be able to find employment, hope to be able to stay house, um, you know, and, and all the other life skills um, and, and supports that we have in supportive housing. You know, we have supports tailored to Indigenous clients that would help them reconnect to their culture. Um, we have supports for, for, for folks who have 
lost you know touch with community and we and we tried to integrate them back into it so you know there, there's so much value in supportive housing and and and, it, and it's more than housing it, it's more than um, just having a roof over your head it's the fact that you have 24 7 support from staff who who are there to help you from a genuine standpoint it's the fact that you have you know all your services in place in one spot and and I say to people, supportive housing is the best housing you can find in our community um, because you can thrive there. It's different from an apartment. Um, you know, in an apartment, when you struggle, you're on your own. You know, in supportive housing, you have really specialized care. You have, you know, staff with, with multidisciplinary skills, um, you know, that can, that can help you with all those challenges. So, um, you know, we see so much results and, and, and so much goals from folks who stay in supportive housing. And we need more in our community, um, you know, wherever we can make one. Alfred, I think I, you know, I just want to piggyback on that. And I think of our, our folks that are, are homeless and, and just the talk of that, that street rat race and, and just, just surviving. And, you know, you think if you're concerned about, oh, where am I going to sleep tonight? You know, when, when we talk about the vulnerability assessment uh, tool, so many people talk about, I lose my things. I don't feel safe. They're sleeping in parks. They're sleeping in parking lots. And how can anyone focus on, on addressing their mental health and substance use concerns when all they're worried about is surviving? And I think that housing stabilizes and gives people an opportunity to, to address really their needs. Carmen, I'd like to bring you in here. In your work with the city, you, you work to provide housing to people who need it. And at the same time, you also have to manage concerns coming from potential neighbors. How does the city balance that? I think first off, it's really important um, for us to be able to convey the level of need in the community. So there's there's tools like housing needs assessments and point in time counts. Um, but, you know, more so than that, it's, it's how do we communicate that information out? Um, and so I think partly there's, there's an education role. So, you know, bringing in data-driven, evidence-based um, practices uh, that, that have been promising and, and shown results in other jurisdictions. Um, one of the things we're working on right now with the city is, uh, is for example, a, a land use analysis where we look at uh, shelter and social housing sites, um, not in terms of, uh, you know, where they should be located from just uh, social planning principles of, of meeting people where they're at uh, and also proximity to transit services and amenities, but also some community planning principles. So around looking at, okay, um, you know, mix of incomes in different neighborhoods, and things like that. So, um, I, I think there's a piece there around, around that strategic planning piece, uh, in community that, that the city, uh, it can play. Um, and, um, it, you know, I, I think as well, there's also a role around empathy building and anti-stigma, uh, work, um, really helping to frame the narrative, uh, as, as it really is, as a human rights issue, um, uh, that, you know, folks have a right to housing and, um, also, I think as well, there's there's an opportunity here. You know, when we think of public services and, and infrastructure, we often think of parks and roads and sidewalks and bike lanes and things like that, water and sewer. 
Um, but I think there's an education piece here around framing housing um, when we think of affordable housing, supportive housing as part of that public infrastructure. And part of that is um, looking at, for example, in Kamloops, uh, you know, in the 2016 census, we don't have the, the recent census data, nearly 50% of renters uh, we're living in unaffordable housing at the time. And we know housing costs have risen dramatically since then. So I think it's really important to convey um, that, that you know, supportive housing, subsidized housing across the continuum, uh, there is this need for, for this public investment that is something that's affecting a majority of, say, renters and also thousands of homeowners in our community and other communities in the province. So um, I, I really do think that that the city, um, by playing uh, an education role, by playing a role around you know bringing the data, but also doing some some empathy building work in in partnership with our nonprofit uh, service providers, um, and also with say Thompson Rivers University, right? Um, we're working with a researcher in residence there um, around some of this work, and um, that I think bringing those conversations into community in a way where you, where you bring the education piece, so you help elevate the conversation, um, but also you know doing some empathy building work to really um, fight against some of that those, those stigmatizing more reactive narratives. You've raised some important themes there, Carmen, about the role of education and awareness. Now, of course, it starts to get real when we're actually opening a supportive housing building. Alfred, you went through this recently. Can you tell us about how you dealt with fear and misinformation when CMHA opened Rosethorn? Yeah, um, I mean, Rosethorn opened, um, you know, a few months before the pandemic. And so, um, you know, it was a bit stressful for us, um, given that, uh, you know, after we opened, COVID, you know, was declared a pandemic. Uh, but we opened in an area in town where, um, in most people's mind was over-concentrated with, with social services, um, you know, from, from every corner. Um, and, you know, prior to Rosestone being built, we had pushback uh, from the community. Um, and when we opened, we, we experienced firsthand um, that whole style interaction, um, you know, from the neighbors, from the community. And most of it was, was, was fed through misinformation out there, you know, um, there were rumors going around on on the type of clients at Rolston. Um, there was misinformation, you know, saying you know Rolston um, stolen properties were being stored at Rolston. Um, you know, there was misinformation as to the type of services we provide at Rolston. And so, um, you know, it was hard to 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 um, fight you know, all this misinformation at once. And so part of what we did was to gradually roll out our response. Um, first was releasing outcomes around the type of supports we have and, and the type of progress we're seeing with our clients. Um, and then we, we, we did more of an education piece for, for the community around what supportive housing is, um, you know, with our partners like the CD and BC Housing and Ask Runners, um, and CMHA, all the other branches. Um, and we also, you know, educated our clients around the impacts of, 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 of our program in the neighborhood and the role they could play. And so, you know, with all three messages, um, we, we started to see a change, a change in dynamics um, and also a change in the misinformation out there. People were willing to go out and seek the information that, you know, we had because it was readily accessible. Um, but also our clients were able to fight for their housing. 
you know, to, to go out there and fight the misinformation. So we created um, our own peer program. And these are individuals from Rolston who go around um, cleaning up the neighborhood, but also engaging the business owners and the neighbors around what housing looks like to them. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, we saw so much value in, in, you know, bringing in all our allies, but we also saw value in the clients defending their right to housing, um, you know, just like every other person. And, and we're starting to see a, a shift in, in, in dynamics for, 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 you know, um, the neighbors we have on, on, on West Victoria. Uh, most of them are, are willing to come in and sit with us. Most of them are willing to find solutions. I think the other thing that led to, um, you know, this negative stereotype for Rolston was, um, you know, we heard at the time that, you know, the corrections here um, uh, had closed down and people were allowed to leave. And so um, there was a misinformation out there that crime went up when Rolston opened. But we worked with our partners like the RCMP and bylaws um, uh, around, you know, some safety measures, you know, the city did a, a crime prevention through environmental design um, to look at what, what, what factors were playing a role in the increase in crime. And at no point um, did the results show that these were clients from Rolston or these were clients from, from any other program. You know, f- folks were lost at the time with COVID and, and you know, we were seeing um, such a high demand in services, which led to so many people coming into, into, into our area of town. Um, uh, but Rolston has, has kept to its promise, which is being an inclusive uh, uh, building, but also a building um, that gives people hope and hope for our community, but also hope to be good neighbors wherever we are. That's so positive. And it's, it's so positive to hear how people's perceptions can change, really, especially when they, when they meet their neighbors, when they, when they see what actually happens when housing comes to a community. Um, can we know that? Research shows that bringing in supportive housing helps stabilize people's lives. It does not lead to increases in crime. It has no impact on property values. Um, can can you just touch briefly on whether or not you, you you've seen the same trend where once housing opens, people's fears don't come to pass? When we opened Sparrow House uh, in Kamloops, Definitely, we we experienced uh, this the the same situation that Alfred and the CMHA team did, and I think it's it's is the responsibility uh, partially of of you know housing provider in collaboration with our city and and BC Housing Partners to really um, help help our communities understand who we are housing and. And accept that there are, you know, there are fears when people don't know something, of course, they're going to be scared or they're going to have questions. And so I think the best thing that we can do is we just address concerns head on. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about the community as our client, not just the clients that are in our, our housing facilities. I, I have been in Kamloops almost all my life. I love my city and I, I have raised children here and I want my city to be safe. I want my city to be beautiful. And I want for me as a, as a person who lives here, but also as part of Ask Wellness Society, I want to, I recognize that the community is our client and it's important that we really do want to take on that role of being a healthy neighbor. Carmen, 
Can you help us conclude by sharing lessons that Kamloops has learned that might be helpful for other municipalities that are developing supportive housing? Well, again, I think the the importance of um, the city playing a role in terms of that that education um, piece is is huge, right? That um, we really need to combat some of the narratives, um, the misinformation that's out there. Uh, and I think as, uh, you know, Alfred and Kim have provided great examples today um, of, of how this work is and, and supportive housing in general is, is, can be so life-changing for folks, right? So um, I, I see a, a strong role for a municipality in, in that. And, you know, Kamloops, like we're, we're a work in progress. I mean, that's the reality as are many, many BC municipalities. So, um, you know, I, I, that's one of the, the key pieces for us that we're going to be working on into the, into the next year. Uh, and really, uh, I, I mean, I think municipalities uh, play a role in terms of some of that strategic planning and, and coordination work. Um, we tend to get, you know, drawn into and, and, and into this cycle of, of responding to, um, concerns which is which is great you need to respond to concerns but getting into this cycle of of you know that can be reactive um and again by doing some of that educational work um uh to address community concerns and and dispel misinformation and dispel um some of the narratives that are out there that just aren't aren't as informed right and again it's about elevating that conversation um and and i would encourage municipalities you know and and we're, I think, going to see some real benefits in our community in the next year with this partnership that we have with uh, Thompson Rivers University, with the researcher in residence there. Um, because often, you know, at a municipal level, it's a capacity issue, right? Um, you know, your your social planning teams um, may not be, you know, uh, very, very large, right? And And you may be going flat out. So again, you're leveraging those relationships, you know, finding partners uh, at the university. And also, again, um, really working with uh, and recognizing the great work of the nonprofit community. Um, you know, in, in our case in Kamloops, I mean, it, you know, and it, as I'm sure it's it's in other communities, but I'm just really struck by the incredible collaboration and innovative work uh, and just dedication uh, and commitment uh, to the vulnerable populations they serve that Ask Wellness and CMHA uh, and our other nonprofit service providers um, are, are engaged in all the time. And I think, you know, it's, it's really important to recognize that and to recognize that, um, you know, as we've been going through and are still going through, you know, for example, the opioid crisis, um, that is something where you have frontline nonprofit uh, service providers building relationships with folks uh, over a period of time and and then folks losing folks to to that opioid crisis. Right. And that's incredibly taxing on and 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 hard on those folks. And so whatever we can do, and and I think there is still a lot more to be done, but whatever we can do to to support the nonprofits and uh and and to dispel some of the misinformation and to to you know really provide provide that educational piece, provide that dialogue, provide that narrative to counter 
um, some of the misinformation. Well, at the same time, um, you know, going out there doing the engagement around it and and hearing and acknowledging community concerns, right? Um, that's that's the key piece, right? Uh, and and so you know whether it's you know another example would be something like. Um, you know, the, this narrative that when supportive housing is built, uh, you know, it drives down, say, property values in area. Well, evidence shows that's quite the opposite. So if you can bring in some local data, which we're doing right now in partnership with Thompson Rivers University around showing that when, when supportive housing is built, it's often built on vacant or underutilized sites. Uh, and, and those vacant underutilized sites are actually having an impact on the market. When the supportive housing goes in, we don't see a drop in, say, real estate values. And I think we've shown uh, the nonprofit providers uh, and, and how they've managed their sites with Rosethorn, with Sparrow, with other sites, um, this concern around increased you know, crime, vandalism, safety and security concerns, uh, it, it often doesn't bear out, right? It's, it's, it's the, the vacant sites and unsafe spaces that existed prior that are actually contributing more of that impact. So. Um, yeah, I just can't stress it enough. And again, we we are definitely, um, I would say, a work in progress right now. And I, I'm really looking forward to in the next year, some of the work that that we can do to support the great work of our nonprofit service providers. Thank you so much. This has been a really informative conversation. Uh, I'd like to thank Kim Galloway, Alfred Ochoba, Carmen Mazoda for joining us on Let's Talk Housing. And I'd also like to thank Quentin for sharing his story. Let's talk again soon. To learn how to apply for subsidized housing in British Columbia, visit our website, bchousing.org. You can also call us at 1-800-257-7756. That's 1-800-257-7756.